You are listening to Future Net Zero, a platform to help businesses and the wider community improve our lives and our planet by achieving net zero. In this episode, Future Net Zero founder Sumit Bose spoke with Vaughan Lindsay, the CEO of Climate Care, as they discuss carbon offsetting, integrated carbon strategies, and the inevitable steps that every business will have to take in the future. Uh, Vaughan, thanks for joining me. Um, just let's start with where we are right now. Um, what is climate care? What, what is, what's its remit uh, and what's its kind of ethos? But, um, climate care is a profit with purpose business. So it seeks to help corporates take responsibility for their climate impact. Um, and we do that by designing climate neutral programs for them, which involve offsetting. Um, that's what we do. Um, and we are a profit with purpose business, which means we try to combine our purpose, which is tackling climate change, with a viable business model. Um, and, uh, you know, we're always brought up on a diet that you either do good or you make money. Uh, yeah. our, our argument is actually you can do both. Uh, those old, that old methodology, if you either do good and make money, you know, do good, don't make money, make money, don't do good is is you know is changing and people talk about good business we talk about profit and purpose business i think it's hugely important because if you want to tackle something like climate change which is a global issue you have to have a business model that is scalable and if it's not profitable it's not scalable because you can't then tap into the capital market so if we really are serious about wanting to tackle an issue at scale you know, whatever you may think about the capitalist system, you have to tap, tap into the trillions of dollars that sit on the capital markets, not just the millions of dollars that sit with philanthropy. So if you stick it just with charities, they'll do great work and they continue to do fantastic work, but it's mm-hmm. always going to be small scale. If you are serious about wanting to tackle issues of scale, you've got to do something which is profitable and purpose-driven. And more and more businesses, I think, are waking up to this. You know, I thought it was quite telling that even Larry Fink, you know, head of BlackRock, you know, one of the sort of titans of the commercial system, if he's turning around saying it's no longer about, you know, uh, shareholder value only, it's about stakeholder value. And by that, he means shareholders, employees, communities and the environment. Then I think you see a a broad recognition that we need to think about a different way of thinking about business. And some call it good business, I call it profit with purpose. Yeah. Okay. Let. How, what's the background? How long has the company been going? Company's been going for over, you know, just over twenty years. Uh, uh, set up many years ago by a guy called Mike Mason in Oxford. Got taken into J.P. Morgan. Then there was a management buyout. Uh, you know, several, you know, decade or so ago, and it's been in private ownership ever since. Um, and has been one of the leaders in the voluntary carbon market. So I think it helped established. The voluntary carbon market as we now know it um, has been responsible for ensuring rigor integrity in that um, that market. We're one of the, f- the founders of the um, the industry standards body, which is called ACROA, which we help set up and, and drive. So I think you know, being a leading player for, for many years, and we operate particularly in the what I call the mm-hmm. high quality end of the market, where people are really concerned about the integrity of the programs, of the projects that they get involved with. I want to discuss that in a minute because that's one of the big issues around offsetting. But going back 20 years, I mean, that was quite unheard of to even conceptualise something like this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, that's an interesting point of view to see that this was something that, you know, probably 20 years ago, I would never have heard of carbon offsetting. 
you know, I worked at the BBC then, there was no such thing as an environment <laughs> correspondent. You know, yes. so very, very, um, very radical thinking for the time. It is, I mean, and it's, a, it's good thinking because it's trying to use market-based solutions to problems. So it's trying to say, if the market is our predominant driver, mm. how can you use a market-based solution to deal with something to do with carbon or the climate? Um, and, you know, it had, it set off with great fanfare. I think it went through, you know, some, it's been quite flat for, for, for many years, you know, and then with public awareness growing so rapidly in recent time, I think it has risen in people's consciousness. You know, you can't pick up the paper without, you know, Extinction Rebellion, David Attenborough, yeah. Greta Thunberg. Um, and what we see, the big changes, I think there have been in the past swells of public awareness about climate change, but we haven't seen it translate into what I call consumer behavior. Um, so people have got concerned, but carried on consuming the way they would do normally. Correct. Recently, what's happened, that's changed. So people are now making real choices about products and services they buy based on the climate credentials of a product. So if I have to choose to buy this cup of coffee versus that cup of coffee, I'll probably buy the one which has a stronger climate credential. Now, yeah. because of that, because that public awareness is causing consumer behavioral change, all corporates are now waking up to that and realizing that it's the right thing to do, but it's also good business, that they have yeah. to be able to respond to that in order to both attract and retain customers. So you get this nice combination of, again, profit with purpose. Some of them are doing it because they're very purpose-driven and kudos to them. Some of them are doing it because they realize, actually, this is what their consumers want and they have to respond to that consumer Absolutely. demand. Absolutely. I mean, we, we at Future Net Zero, our, our aim is to get businesses together towards the net zero pathway. But yeah. the real thing is we don't have a problem with people making money because I will buy a phone because I need a phone. I'm not sure. going to stop it. I'm not going to be denied. I'd rather have a phone that's made with less rare earth elements. It's yeah. much more recyclable. I'd rather drive a car that's cleaner. I'd rather take sure. a flight that's powered by hydrogen rather than by uh, you know hydrocarbons. So do you see that with this now mandatory target of net zero by 2050 that's focused the mind because businesses always like to have a target in a way that csr and you know responsibility in the, in the, the previous sort of 20 years your company's been going was a sort of nice to do people did it because they they felt they ought to tick a box but yeah. now there's a business purpose and business driver to meet a target isn't there absolutely right and you you make a very good and important distinction which is in the past I think a lot of our activity was in the CSR realm people wanted to do the right thing they wanted to signal to the world that they were responsible businesses um, and that was good and, and credit to them increasingly now what we're talking to is people who see this as a core part of their product offering or their services or what they have to be as a business in order to survive um, and that is a big big shift and as I say I think the pivot point to me is as soon as public awareness translated into changing consumer behavior people making purchasing choices based on things that has led to a change it's led to a change with corporates with consumers and with investors investors are now actively saying we we don't want to be investing in highly carbonized business models mm. because we think in the long term you know that it's a broken model so they're trying to de-risk out of those as well so you've got this combination of you know, consumer pressure from the bottom, investor pressure from the top, and from the side, government pressure saying, you know, if you don't do this voluntarily, we will make it mandatory. Yeah. Um, now, of course, most 
organizations realize it's much quicker to do it voluntary rather than wait to be mandated so there many of them are taking you know preemptive action saying well let's just get on with this because it's the right thing to do it's good business and if we don't do it we're going to probably get beaten over the head by government anyway so mm. let's move now and all the, it's the alignment of those three things i think which makes the market at the moment grow so rapidly and i think we'll continue to do so for the next decade and more Let's uh, take a couple of things that really strike me, which is we've had um, many companies, and in fact, the government itself has put a definition out there, what is carbon neutrality? And that doesn't mean no carbon. That means a mixture of reduction and offsetting. And I suppose the criticism that I would put to you is that offsetting is often seen as a wild west. Am I giving money because it's my conscience and you're going to plant a few trees in Africa or you're going to say this? Well, how do I know you're going to do this? You know, there's been lots of tabloid press saying that there's a scam out there to kind of ripping companies off for this offsetting thing. It must be A, frustrating to you, but B, how do, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with the thing of saying actually what you're doing is legitimate and you can prove what you're doing? Because there are operators out there, and I'm sure you know that, who are not doing that. Well, I mean, I mean, I would contest that it's a wild west. I mean, I think that's, you know, 10, 15 years out of date, to be honest. You know, it's, um, the, the offsetting industry is incredibly well regulated at the moment. There is, you know, in order to create a carbon credit that you use to offset, it has to be independently verified by it. I mean, we use three independent standard setting bodies. You know, right. there's the gold standard, there's Vera or CDM one run by the UN, the other two are charities themselves, you know, and they have to independently assess whether the claim of a project is correct. And they do that by sending in an independent auditor. So it's a bit like having your accounts audited. An sure. auditor will go in, in this case, we call it a DOE, goes in, evaluates whether the project uh, has, has done what it said it's done, has properly measured its baseline, has delivered the emission reductions it said it would do. They then write a report independent from the project, which then goes to a verifying body that independently assesses the independent reviewer's report. So you get two levels of checks, all both independent, and only then will they issue a credit. So to me, the standards we see that required for credit, I have to say, are better than almost any other sector I've seen. So you, you're right to say we get slightly, you know, humpy when people say, is it wild? Yeah. So my, my word, it is pretty independently checked. So as long as you're using verified credits, mm -hmm. you know, from one of the established bodies, you're, you know, you, you, it will do what it says on the tin, which is it will be a verified carbon reduction. Sure. As a business, though, I probably wouldn't know about this. I would yeah. think I need to do this. So I'll look up a company that says we'll offer you offsetting. So how if I contacted you, I said, Vaughan, so help me out. I, I've got a big um, factory I'm going to build. I'm trying to make uh, the, the carbon as little as I can, but I'm going to have lots of emissions there. Sure. I would like to do something good or I've got flights my team have to take or whatever. Sure, sure. How would you go about finding me a project how do you verify that project do you actually take take me through a case study give me an sure, exactly so the, the the first thing to do is i think what you've intonated which is you would never start off by saying you should offset we would start off by saying you know um you know we would always say is a hierarchy of action which is measure reduce 
then avoid um, yeah. and then offset. And so you would start off by saying, first of all, understand what your footprint really is, because if you don't do that, you can't set yourself a reasonable target, then set yourself a target. Then you should reduce and avoid as much as you can yourself. So discourage people from taking those flights if they can go different ways, try to reduce. And then only when you've got a stubborn amount of what we would call residual emissions, mm -hmm. should you consider using offsetting. So the first thing is to always look at offsetting in context, never see it as a solution in its own right. It That's is, quite bizarre. You actually don't want people to use your business. <laughs> well, no, no. We, we, to me, it's, it's part of the toolkit that you have to use. It's one tool in a toolkit. It is not, and we would never claim it to be a solution. And so if someone said to you, first of all, oh, yeah, you're, you're offsetting is your answer, yeah. I would be really worried. You know, we would never say that. We would always say it has to be part of an integrated carbon management strategy of which this is one powerful element that you can do. So that would be the first thing we would say. Okay. So put it in context. Once you've done that context and you have reduced and avoided as much as you can, and there are this stubborn rump of emissions, let's say 100,000 tonnes of, of emissions that you just it's just not economic for you to get rid of because of the nature of your business. You know, we have to fly sometimes and we can't avoid that. It's the nature of what we do. Then we would say offsetting is, a, is probably the most cost-effective way of taking responsibilities for those actions. Because what you are buying with a credit is um, you're taking, rather than setting a plan to say in, I don't know, in five years time, don't worry, I'll find a way of reducing those down in five years time. So don't worry, I've got myself a target. And, you know, in the meantime, we'll carry on emitting. What we would say is, well, while you're working towards that target, you're still emitting carbon every year and you should take responsibility for that. And offsetting enables you to do that. It's a bit like me. If I lived next to you and I was throwing my rubbish onto the street every day and I said to you, oh, don't worry, you know, in five years time, I would have found a way of stopping doing that. You would probably still be a little bit irritated because you know in five years that pile of rubbish will be pretty big and you don't really want to wait five years so you really want me to take responsibility today and not throw that rubbish out now offsetting enables you to do that because what it's doing is taking a credit from a project that has already produced a carbon reduction in the past that you are then buying to offset or balance against the emission you are are creating where are these projects? What would you find for me then? Do you have so oh, you know if a magic tree if I said to you, right, okay, well that's oh you'd say, well that's that's a that's a rainforest project, that's that many credits, or that's building a, a couple of fields of whatever here. Sure. Talk me through what, what a, a project so, is. So there's a vast range of projects. So we we, we we have, I don't know, three hundred project partners around the world that we work. Right. So the, the first thing to realize is is at the moment um, I don't want to get too technical, but at the moment under the Kyoto Protocol, until the Paris Agreement comes into effect, all the projects that get verified credits have to be in developing countries, not in the right. developed countries. Okay. So, and I can explain why that is if it's helpful, but that's so no, first no, of all. That. So let's say that. That's where so it will be. Yeah. yeah. And then um, what we would say to you is we, we would try to match as best we can your interests to projects that best align with your business. So if you would say to me, I'm really interested, you know, my business footprint is very strong in East Africa and India. Then we would say, well, okay, let's find projects in East Africa and India. Yeah. And then you would say, well, actually, I'm really interested in health as a business. We're really interested in that. And then we'll say, okay, let's find projects that talk to health as well as carbon. So one of the things we specialize in is projects that have other things other than just carbon. So we would do, for example, like cooked, so we would do cook stoves, for example. So you're encouraging people to use very efficient cook stoves rather than open fires. That reduces their, their carbon emissions by 50, 60%. And it also reduces indoor air pollution 
that kills more people than who have tuberculosis and malaria. Okay. Um, so we would say, okay, well, you're interested in health, you're interested in uh, East Africa and India. So we would find projects that m met that. And so cookstoves would be a good example. So we would say actually cookstoves have good health outcomes as well as reduce carbon. We have two or three projects in India, two or three in um, East Africa. And then we would then we'd have a conversation to say, will this give you the right volume? Are you happy with the price? And we would mix the projects to get the right price. Then we would create a portfolio for you, which would then meet your needs at a required volume at a required price. So one of the things to realize that with what we do is we don't usually sell individual projects. We sell portfolios. So just so if you were going to, I don't know, if you were going to buy a unit trust or make an investment, you wouldn't stock pick yourself. You would buy... A, a, a portfolio that somebody had put together for you and we would do the same process and so we would you create that use different a different project a different mix of projects to meet your different requirements now all of those projects we would make sure pass you know we would only deal with projects that um uh have been verified by any of those three independent bodies that we mentioned and then we also do our own advanced due diligence so in addition to that, we will also check out the project in terms of things like politically exposed persons, making sure that where the finances come from is, 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 is acceptable, making sure there's no issues to do that can often be with things like child labor, all these sorts of things. Absolutely. So we would do all that due diligence as well, in addition to the, the verification, because the verification body, all that's saying is it has reduced a ton of carbon. So it just says that's what it does. You don't know how it did it. It could have done it in a way that it used child labor. You don't, in the, the verifying body doesn't check that out. But we would always go beyond that and do what we call our advanced due diligence. So the projects that we would have would both deliver carbon and would deliver developmental impacts and we would have done advanced due diligence. And I suppose that's the thing that the corporates would want. They would want to know that Absolutely. the project is verified. It's not going into someone's pocket. Absolutely right whether it, the trees are being planted or whoever's being helped, that's happening. So do you have to make sure you've got teams on the ground? Is that one of the things you do? How do you actually check that the person is planting those trees or is build, giving people those cookers or doing those things? Sure, sure. So um, the first thing is on the carbon side, that's done by the independent verifier. So they will send field agents out to check. So in cook stoves, I'll keep using that example, you know, we would sell cook stoves. Uh, they would be verified as, as as reducing carbon because they're not using uh, three stone open fires, which use vast amounts of wood. Uh, a DO, uh, a independent assessor would go out into the field and check that those cook stoves are still being used by the family and they're still as efficient as they were before because they can degrade over time. So in terms of the carbon side, that is always assessed by the independent verifying body. Um, and that so that's how you can be certain that. In addition, we have a team out in Nairobi um, who would also check and keep very close relationships with the projects because it's not just the verifying the carbon standard. We want to make sure the project is sound, that it doesn't have any skeletons in the cupboard, that it's running its finances efficiently. So th that would be done by our team on the ground based out of Nairobi who would keep connections with many of the projects that we're involved with. In a way, you're like an auditing firm as well as a kind of... Uh, <laughs> Don't it, tell them. They'd be so upset if they say you told them that. <laughs> they would be, yes. it's, it's quite, you know, it's much more um, complicated than I would have thought. Yeah, and it comes to the point you start off with, which is what we believe is the rigour and integrity of what we do is critical. And there's no compromise on You cannot compromise on that. Because as soon as you get one 
one that goes wrong then yeah. everything gets tainted so we are yeah, so we focus very high and, we, and then that's where our specialism and that's why i think you know we're so you know we're sort of a brand leader is because we focus so highly on on that and accept that that sometimes means we're not the cheapest and we are unashamed about that where does the money go so i would pay you uh how much do i pay for a ton uh, is that a set market or as you said, if it's a portfolio, you'd say to me, do you work it in the way that you say, right, Sumit, you're emitting 200,000 tonnes, that costs this much. And then I assume you take a management fee out of the money I, I exactly, give. Is, exactly. that, is that the model? Exactly right. And the, the question about how much does it cost, it's a bit like me saying to you, how much does a car cost? You know, it's sort of, well, it depends what type of car you buy. You know, it can cost anything from a smart car through to a you know a, what you know an ex extremely expensive car, and that's the same with projects. So if I'm supporting a let's say a grid scale solar renewable project in India, yes, they're enormous. So the unit economics of each ton of carbon is, is cost effective. But if I'm supporting a highly a very small community-based project that's providing water filters to a very remote area of north you know northern uganda that's going to be much more expensive so the price will be much higher and our job is to have that whole range of 300 odd types of projects so you can choose you know do you want ones with the high what we call charismatic qualities you know that it's very community-based it has huge amounts of developmental Im um, impacts or do you want something which is cost effective which is often you know a sort of grid scale uh renewable type project so the prices can range enormously and it's, it's it's a bit like say how you know say as i say how how much does a car cost understood and then you take you take a management fee then, yeah it? we take it but the majority of the money is going you know the, the whole purpose of the carbon markets is to channel money into these projects so that's what you're doing so what we're saying to a corporate is by buying credits you are supporting these projects that are balancing your emissions and that money is enabling them to, to largely pay often pay their operating costs to keep the project going the aim of our our, our uh, platform is to we've started with big business and to try and get big business to get together and then affect their supply chain but obviously this is something that affects us all so if i was a small business we're a small business ourselves how would we get involved or is offsetting really just for the big boys no no it's definitely not so we we have as many small companies as big companies um and our view is everybody and you can take responsibility you know the first thing you know even if it's a small business first thing you should do is the hierarchy of action which is first of all measure find out what your footprint is as soon as you do that it will change your behavior you'll suddenly think oh gosh maybe we should reduce this i never realized we did so much air travel or whatever so the first thing to do is measure awareness, raise awareness then you should reduce where you can and then you can offset. So you could offset. I mean, let's say your business is, I don't know, you, I don't know how, how big the business is, but let's say you produce. We're, 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 we're 10 people. We're, we're based in uh, an office in North London. And really, our, 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 our carbon profile is pretty small. But there are things I'd like to do that I'm stuck because of the building I'm in and the landlord won't do them. But there are certain things we, 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 we'd like to do. And we do events and we would like to offset the carbon of those events. And, yeah. and like that. so the question is, how do we measure that? So if I'm a business starting off, you talked about the measuring. Are there certain set, set apps? Where would we go? How do, yeah. again, so there are things like carbon, yes, good point. So there are carbon calculators you can use. So we have one on our website, uh, which you can go to and you can put in, you know, your rental, your electricity, your travel, and it will tell you how much carbon you produce. 
and and then you've got them then you've you've taken the first step now as a rule of thumb you know a household produces you know 10 tons of carbon so let's say there's you say there's four of you or ten, uh, there's ten, ten of us ten of us so let's say okay so you're producing you know 100 tons of carbon a year let's say as a as a rule of thumb um now you could offset that at you know five pounds a ton if you wanted to you know we would argue you know you should probably do more but you could easily offset that five or six or seven pounds a ton and if you use our calculator i think it's it's, it's, a, it's about seven pounds a ton so that's you know that's something that we could all do then you could do so you could take full responsibility for your emissions for 700 pounds as a business now you should try to reduce it because you'll sit there well i don't want to pay that 700 pounds and i'm like no quite right so reduce try to reduce what you can but the worst thing to do is to know it and then do nothing about it so to measure it and realize that you have got a footprint of 700 tons or you know 100 tons and go oh, well, there's nothing i can do about it that is the worst thing you can do um what we would say is, of course, you should reduce where you can. But just like you said, your landlord won't do stuff. That doesn't stop you taking responsibility. So we would well, that's what we talk about, which is take responsibility for your climate impacts. And offsetting enables you to do that and do it now rather than wait for three, four, five years' time. Odd question to ask you to end with, but would you rather that you were out of business? That basically, you know, we, 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 we get to the pathway of net zero where we don't need offsetting because we start Fantastic. to do yeah yeah it goes back to our purpose you know that would be our purpose absolutely um it's a strange business i seem to spend my entire life working for businesses that are trying to put their business out but that's what you we, we want the whole world to be more responsible and we want people to get to net zero our belief is the reality is there will always be residual emissions which are very difficult to get hold of, of and get rid of and there will always be a need for those but that you know that should be our mindset how do we help people reduce and our view is ironically what we want the price to do is to go higher because if it goes higher you know if you only if it to offset an air flight only costs you an extra 10 pounds or 20 pounds you may think oh, i'll deal with that but if i told you it was 100 pounds or 150 or 200 you would begin to think oh do i really want to do that so that's the point the price on carbon which we were trying to get before the crash we were trying to get before coronavirus that is fundamentally where we need to go we need to price carbon don't we we, we need to price a bit i mean our, our ultimate thing would be to have an economy-wide price on carbon you know we are doing it in a voluntary basis so people can choose to do it uh, the ultimate solution would be a government solution which is to put a price on carbon across the entire economy a carbon tax well, it's, a, it's, it's more, it's less a tax. Tax don't, don't work well. France has a carbon tax and that hasn't, hasn't worked well and caused a lot of kickback. But what you want people to do is, is, to, is to price carbon into, got, it's an externality which at the moment isn't measured and it should be factored in. And then, it, then the, the polluter, the supplier, is putting that into their cost. Often what you see them doing is they make the consumer pay. They say, oh, you can choose to offset if you want yeah. to. And our view is no, you should embed it into the costs of you doing business and then consumers can make choices. Are you, to end with, are you positive of the future? Despite what's going on right now with coronavirus, and I know we will get over this, but it's been an experiment that's shown emissions are down, that we can live a different way, that we can actually act very quickly. So once we're through this, what, what's, what's your feeling if you've been in the industry for a while? Is this an actual time of change? It is. I mean, I have to say, it, I mean, even with COVID-19, you know, I mean, I still remain very optimistic. You know, the level of voluntary action people are taking is really heartening. So many big corporates, governments, 
making statements. I mean, some are stronger than others, but everybody is moving in the same direction for now. But what COVID-19, I hope, will show us is actually what we can do when we take collective action. Um, and actually, which is what a global thing like climate change requires. So I hope there will be learnings from how we've managed to deal with COVID-19, which we will then translate into how we deal with climate change. Um, so I, I do remain, you know, optimistic, you know, but it's hard work, but, you know, uh, it wouldn't be so much fun if it wasn't. <laughs> Vaughan, thank you very much for your time. Well, thanks a lot. Cheers then. Hope it goes well. Thanks for listening to this Future Net Zero podcast. Please follow us on social media and subscribe to the website at www.futurenetzero.com. Future Net Zero. Better business, better planet.